It was last yeah, year. It yeah, it was last year. Um, play, I played it at it's PAX March. West. <laughs> I don't even know where I am right now. But uh, I played it earlier. Welcome to Rated NA, the podcast for the website, nerdappropriate.com. This is episode number 264, part two of the PAX East 2017 con special episodes. I'm your host, Matt. And I'm Scott. And I'm Ash. We're here. Hey, so it is Saturday night. It's been. We're going to talk about what what has been Saturday. Yeah. Yeah. And all the games that we play and the things that we do. I think it would only be appropriate to start by talking again about Mass Effect. Yeah, yes. let's do it. We since, did it again. Since that's what we did yesterday. Yeah. Uh, we played on the floor yesterday we on played, Xbox played PC, 60. Yeah. 60 frames per second. Yeah, today we played on PC. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, we all played, we all played different classes. stuff. Different yeah. classes. Yeah. Turns out, uh, surprise, they kind of switch up the builds slightly each yeah. day. Yeah. So there's an incentive to go play. Rumor has it, and we can talk to... Mr. Billy on the floor, mm-hmm. um, and there are some of the ultra rare characters they're putting on the floor tomorrow. Ooh! As we briefly talked about this on the last show, but there's different rarities of characters you can unlock through the packs, um, and the ones we've been playing uh, on both on the Bioware base and on the show floor have been relatively common characters. Uh, but tomorrow they're they're unleashing some of the the gold characters. So. That's exciting. Yeah, I mean, because today they switched the character abilities that some of the characters had so the same characters different abilities and then some of the weapons are different okay so i played as the um human sentinel today okay and i had a a weapon who's i think it's called a it started with an s and it was like a chain gun that i found to be difficult to use but then my the class was interesting and i think this is kind of what they're doing with the freedom of choice in the single player campaign is that i had a kind of like a tech ability i had a, a biotic ability and then i also had kind of like what i would consider to be like a soldier ability so i had this like barricade i had pull and then i had um like something that destroyed like a tech ability to drain shields so that was really interesting to kind of play as like a hybrid class and have all that kind of work together so that was cool yeah. what you, would you guys do i was a human soldier which i believe matt played at the no it was an adept oh but I played a human soldier this time. Uh, I had access to grenades, which I could actually refill at uh, ammo replenishments, and they were actually very, 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 very deadly, just standard grenades. And then I had a concussive blast and um, adrenaline rush. Oh, cool. What does adrenaline rush do in multiplayer? Do uh, you fire faster? So you fire faster, and I think um, I think your, your bullets do a little bit more damage as well. Oh, cool. So essentially, the, the, I had an assault rifle... Uh, what was the the big red one? Ravager, ra, 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 um, yeah, I know what you're talking about. The the big the, the big red assault rifle. I was, can't it, was it was it an N7 rifle that? The no, it oh, was okay. like it was like the big the big honking one that's been in in the games. The big red one. The big. Mm-hmm. One. I'm sure. People anyway, are so I was using now. that. I know. I I used to remember. I forget yeah. now. But um, I use that, and then of course when you use adre- use adrenaline rush, it was just insane. I would take Rev- down revenant. Revenant. Yeah. Thank you. There you go. But with Adrenaline Rush, that, that gun would just carve through even the, the biggest Krogans and 
and even the big Atlas mechs and stuff. So that was actually really fun. Um, I think, you know, what I realized is that all of these character classes are going to play very, very differently. Oh, yeah. So um, it's going to be, you know, like I said, I think yesterday, there have been 20 that have been revealed, and there's going to be more, and each one's going to kind of uh, really... What I'm trying to say is you're going to find something that suits your play style no matter what. So. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Uh, I played a Tech Krogan, um, which had like a... Fi- I don't know all the names. I do not remember everything. I wouldn't even try to remember everything. Yeah. I had like a fire blast that I could do. Some, cord- some sort of like traveling electric blast that I could do out of my other hand. Mm-hmm. And then I had a, a turret that I could lay down. That's interesting. Ah, uh, the turret was yours. That was yeah. actually really handy because a lot of the enemies would it would taunt. Yep. So I, I kept throwing that... in the middle of the bridge, and everybody would kind right. of run to it, and it was drawing, uh, it was aggroing like a bunch of the guys. That's and interesting. It kept people off of us for a while. It was a, it, it lasted for like a Krogan long time. Did your Krogan have a melee like charge ability? Is that not that I could see? Oh, okay. It, um, it looked like they took that away. I had the headbutt, which was like relatively ineffective. It was a mildly confusing class for me. I didn't do super well with it. Um, like I understood the abilities. My gun was weird too, and I don't know if it existed before. It had like a charge ability to mm-hmm. it, um, but it was sort of uh, uh, not assault rifle-y, but kind of like it was like rifle-ish. But you could also charge. You could charge it to hit a guy, and it would like take shields out pretty well. I think that. I think like the weapons that have like a warm-up period, like a charge weapon or a minigun, are just not conducive to our play styles. Yeah, well, what I was thinking about it, like, I got the Adept role really well yesterday. I did fine with the Adept mm-hmm. and understood it, like, immediately knew how to play it. Um, with the tech powers and the Krogan, which wasn't two things that I never really did previously very much, uh, mm-hmm. it was like, I feel like I tend to play more, um, what would you call it, like, combative support? Like yeah. like in those snipery roles yeah, or, right. or like sit yeah, back no and be like supporties. Um, no infiltrators at all on any yeah. of the builds. Yeah. yeah. If this were an RPG, you'd be in the back row. Yeah. 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 yeah that's what I tend to do. And this one sort of played like that, but it was also a Krogan. And it just, it just was like, it was a little like, un, I didn't totally get it. But what, to, uh, to Ash's point, walked away feeling like, oh man, there is like a completely, it was a completely different feeling game than I had uh, from the morning play test the mm-hmm. other day. I do miss the Vanguard. That's kind of like my bread and butter. So yeah. Nice so yeah. The Adept made sense because I could sit back and like float a guy and then just like hit mm-hmm. him while they're in the air. Mm-hmm. Um, but the turret was fun and super, super effective and did make a lot of sense. Like it was a very useful turret. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe if I switched my like loadout with my weapons, it might have made more sense. But um, but yeah, but I, had, cool. I enjoyed it. It was fun. 60 frames looked yeah. good. Mm-hmm. We played with Sam. That was Yeah, exciting. we played with yeah. Sam. Long-time listener, friend of the show, and a generally cool person. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Very, very yeah. cool. Sweet person. Do you want to get into our, our our list of games, things that we played today? Sure. Yeah. Um, I was pretty light today, just because we had a couple meetings and was running around doing stuff, but... Um, and we had to get freaking Comic-Con tickets. Can we talk about that for just a second? I thought that's what we were going to say right away, but we didn't. That was our morning was Comic-Con tickets. Was, yeah, 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 you guys so morning. This, yeah. Ha- this happened to us once before, but for long-time listeners know that we, of course, go to and cover Comic-Con and love Comic-Con. And we go every year if we can. This year, tickets went on sale while we are at PAX, which is the worst thing that can possibly happen. So we had to like lock ourselves in the hotel room for a couple hours this morning and miss the first couple hours of the show, which is a bummer. But the good news is... is 
uh, ourselves and our families got tickets. Yeah, so smoothly good. too. It worked. It worked well. Not to brag, it's a terrible process usually, but it went pretty well. This was to the this first year. year where I honestly didn't feel like I was going to like puke or throw my computer out. Yeah, there. yeah. <laughs> and if and just in case everybody's like, "Oh, you got tickets again?" Well, you know, there were six of us sitting online waiting to buy five right. tickets. Yeah. <laughs> like it's not as if we were just like one guy happened to get tickets for our yeah, whole yeah, family. Yeah. There was. It's a huge coordinated effort we put it's together like a hack, each year. Hack the Gibson style. Of it. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but it went well, and we got tickets, which was nice, and it, it wasn't as stressful as it could have been. Yeah. So that was cool. Yeah, it was fun. I look forward to it. Yeah. It will be in California in July. Mm, absolutely. Nice. Well, while you guys were buying Comic Con tickets, I went down to the floor and I played Masquerada. Yes. Yeah. Which, um, unfortunately, is kind of a game I I picked for Ash's benefit, but you couldn't be there. Yeah. Sorry, man. Yeah. If it makes you feel any better, I did play it here at PAX. A while yeah. Ago. Yeah, I mean, I think the reason why they're here this time is that they're prepping for a console release later this year, which is cool. But for um, folks that are not familiar, Masquerada is a game that's currently available on Steam. It's played... Um, to me, the the gameplay kind of reminds me a little bit of um, Transistor, in the sense where it's like the same camera angle. Oh, cool. And you... Uh, except the combat is not the type of combat where it's like you tap X and you strike. It's like you engage somebody and you start hitting them. So that's kind of like where it deviates a little bit. But you, you have the ability to pause the game, uh, queue up an action. Uh, there's party members, so, so similar to Dragon Age, you would pause the game, queue up three attacks, and then execute the attacks once you um, unpause from the tactical view. But it has that same camera angle uh, from uh, Transistor. It's like the isometric view. And all of the character art is sort of like a very interesting hand-drawn style. And it almost looks kind of like a high fantasy with kind of like a techno edge to it okay so the idea behind masquerade i talked to um ian gregory who uh, is uh, one of the developers on the team he says like it's about a team about 15 people give or take and so the it's a very lo- small team yeah it's considering like how how like well polished this game is it's really impressive that's kind yeah. of like the theme of the day actually as we talk about other things but um he kind of told me about the lore which i thought was interesting and so uh it's this world that they live in like there's no religion so because of that there's kind of like no concept of the afterlife and um basically the way people kind of live on after dying is that you know songs are sung about them or whatever and that's kind of like how their legacy carries on and but apparently songs are only sung about people that wear the masks that's the name masquerada and only wealthy people can afford masks so like only wealthy people get to kind of like have their memories preserved for a very long time Mm. so it kind of says that like the kind of the background for the game is that they explore these weird themes about like death and like you know having privilege and things like that too so Hmm. um the reason why uh i thought ash would like the game is because of the voice cast so they've got um felicia day ashley birch jennifer hale and mark mir among other people which is insane which is insane Yeah. yeah and he said that uh you know for a lot of it, they they recorded everything together. Wow. Yeah, which oh, is cool. pretty cool, too. So when two characters are having a conversation, they're really having a conversation. Yeah. Which is exciting. Um, I think, I mean, Felicia Day, I think, is a fantastic voiceover artist. And yeah. She doesn't get enough credit for it. It was funny, when we interviewed her on episode 250, she even brought that up, that she just, like, doesn't doesn't do it very often, but she wants to do more. Yeah, and she mentioned this game specifically yeah, when we did. talked to her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you're a dev listening to this, hire Felicia Day. She's yeah. awesome and she's up for it. You guys, I'm sure people have heard of Felicia Day, right? That listen to the show. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Yeah. Um, and uh, okay, so it's a party based game. 
the part I played didn't have a huge party to start out with. It's more like a tutorial mission. And uh, let's see. Oh, I asked him an interesting question. I said, like, what is one thing about the game that you really like but people won't know when they play? You know, something that a developer only would notice. And he told me, uh, interestingly, that um, there are NPCs that you encounter throughout the game. And some are, like, recurring characters that kind of reappear in different places as you travel around. Mm-hmm. And they have narratives. And they're not important narratives or anything. They're just, like, side stories. Like, not relevant to the game at all. But things that kind of carry through the game. And he said his interns wrote those stories. Oh, wow. He's just, like, really oh, wow. proud of him. He's like, interns came to me with, like, some wacky story about something. And he's like, yeah, put it in the game. Yeah. Yeah. And so I just thought that was really cool. So if you're playing Masquerada, talk to the NPCs and kind of, like... Pay attention to the... Huh, the, that's great. Yeah, to the things that may fall through the cracks on your first playthrough. So that's that's really fun. It's kind of going to come to console later this year, which is why why they're here right now. Cool. Uh, first thing I played was a game that if I just describe will sound very dry. Uh, and to an extent, it is, but I think it has a set of people that would really love it. Um, it's, a, it's a game called Project High Rise, which is out on Steam. And uh, you are an architect and developer who is building an actual skyscraper uh, and sort of SimCity style, like, managing all of the resources that go into building and developing this high-rise. Is it, like, serious tiny tower? It is. Yes. That is borderline a perfect example. Yes. Yeah. is wow. serious tiny tower. So if wow. you sort of enjoy tiny tower but thought, this game doesn't have enough math in it, uh, uh, that's what Project High Rise is. Um, there were some really fun parts, and I could see myself getting hooked on this pretty easily. I kind of wish it was mobile, to be dead honest, um, and not just on PC. Mm-hmm. But it has that sort of uh, um, quality of, like, sim. It's like a very serious sim, but it looks very nice and it works very well. But it has that, like, ser- like there was a crowd of people that were, like, excited about how somebody finally made a serious tower-building sim game. Uh, but it was really fun. I played it for a little bit. Uh, it was pretty easy to get into, but the UI is like kind of juddering because there's just so much you can build and do. Uh, I forgot to put elevators in my building uh-huh. and uh, <laughs> built like two, three floors, and then they were like, we can't That's get to bad. the third floor. And I was like, oh, and then you have to build new like areas where you can put an elevator on, and then like different parts of the building get upset if you put them in the wrong area. Um, but it looks massively expandable. And uh, you kind of manage, like, tenants. You can move in. They were talking about how you can put in retail, uh, business, um, uh, apartments, and restaurants. And what's interesting about that is that you could, like, if you wanted to do different builds, you could actually build a, a full, like, apartment tower and just see how it goes trying to manage, like, apartment tenants. Oh. And each one will have, like, different wants and needs. And then, like, you might have to build out the bottom floor with, like, some retail to make them happy. Or mm-hmm. It was it was an interesting game. Uh, What's it called again? Project High Rise. Uh, and it's on Steam. Uh, and if you really like Sims, like, if you are into the Sim part of SimCity or you really love uh, kind of, like, the, the management pieces of, of some of the lighter Sims out there, this actually would probably interest you. So I thought I'd bring it up. Oh, cool. Sounds like, I mean, it definitely sounds like it appeals to a, a niche audience, but there yeah. are people that probably lose their mind for something like that. Yeah, and there were people losing their minds about it while I was there. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, I played uh, Hand of Fate 2 again. Oh, if, yeah. If you listened to our PAX West coverage, my, my horrible sick coverage that I did this year mm-hmm. of uh, PAX West, actually, that was, was that last year at this point? It was last yeah, year. Yeah, it was last year. Um. I played it at PAX West. (laughs) 
I don't even know where I am right now. But uh, I played it earlier, and oh my lord, um, it has improved exponentially between, um, I guess that was August of last year and now, mm-hmm. which ha- obviously happens in game dev. That's, that's a long time in game dev time. So, so right now, if you have not played the original Hand of Fate, it's available everywhere. Everyone should check it out. It's a very unique experience. It's a a sort of a deck building game that has action elements and RPG elements built in, and it also has um, you know a really pretty cool narrative built into this card game. It's like there's a, a meta narrative to the game, and I think you described it best. It's almost like you're playing D and D with cards, right? You're playing D and D with cards, and then if you actually engage in an action sequence, it becomes a, a third person action brawler. So. Um, you have, you know, an opportunity to complete feats and, like, you know, jump over terrain or, like, dive for, op- you know, dive for objects. You can, you know, find treasure and things of that nature, equip your character. But then when you actually fight, you fight against, um, you know, enemies in real time using, you know, your actual agility, which is pretty cool. So uh, Hand of Fate 2 has a lot of new additions. Um, you can now play as a male or female avatar they revealed for the first time uh, here at PAX that you can actually modify your character's appearance, which you couldn't do in the original, so you can actually change your hairstyles and your skin tone and all that fun stuff. Um, there are a number of different companions that can join you on your quest, um, which were not playable. They were playable at the last PAX, but they weren't playable here because I did like a very special mission. Mm-hmm. Um, but the companions can actually join you on your quest, and when you get into those those melee brawls, they'll be there to back you up. And there's, you know, bards and all sorts of different character types. Um, you know, what I thought was just amazing this time around is the, the melee combat is not unlike, you know, something you'd see in Batman Arkham or Assassin's Creed. So mm-hmm. you can you can combo, you can block, you can, you can parry, you can do all that fun stuff. But this time around, um, it's incredibly fluid. And there's also different weapon types as well. So you're not just fighting with sword and shield. Uh, you have you know, there's daggers. I had a big mace. There and there were weapon types in the original game as well, but these felt very very different. So I started off with daggers, and I was incredibly quick and, and, and you know nimble. And then I moved on to, by the end of my end of my session. I ended up using a giant mace, which was cool because I could break through shields and stuff. I thought that was very effective because you were fighting a lot of skeletons, and the mace right. seemed like the natural choice to like just right. crush their bones. And the animation was really cool as you were kind of like beating them down. Right. It's kind of really right. awesome. I, I mean, honestly, um, Hand of Fate is such a unique title. The team is based out of Australia. They're pretty small. I think it's definitely, definitely keep your eyes filled for Hand of Fate 2 if you're into um, deck building games, if you're into RPGs, if you're into action brawlers. It kind of does everything, which is something I'm really enjoying with games lately, is people just taking a variety of different genres, which I think we're going to talk about with Matt's favorite game of show right now. Take a variety of genres and kind of mash them together. And every once in a while, rather than making something shitty when you do that, you actually make something that's pretty pretty incredible. And I think Hand of Fate 2 is doing that. Um, just the art alone on the cards is worth the price of, of price of the game. Yeah, like they're kind of like D&D manual quality uh, like illustrations on all of the cards. But like first edition D&D. Right? Yeah, that's, yeah, it's yeah, like, like very, it's got like a very old school feel to it. And I, something that I noticed and, you know, it's kind of like the game is like, I wouldn't call it like one of those like hyper difficult games, but it is a difficult game. And because it's called Hand of Fate, you kind of expect, it's not that it's roguelite. It's that, um, you know, you construct a deck and you play kind of against the the dealer 
who is kind of like your meta an- antagonist in the game. And so sometimes different cards will appear in different orders, and that really has an influence on your ability to even get through the level that you're playing on. Right. Right. And something that I noticed that they kind of double down on the chance part of the game by adding um, some things that require like a dice roll. So I noticed that you were like, you came to a treasure chest or you're trying to like do something and uh, you, you had like two chances to roll a set of dice in order to get like a high enough number that would get you rewards. Right. Um, in the in the Hand of Fate 1, they kind of did chance by like taking a stack of four cards, shuffling them up, and then you pick the card that you think has the, the reward on it. They still have that, but they added that, and then they added some other game where um, a pendulum is swinging back and forth, and you're trying to hit a target, and if you hit the target, you get a reward as well. Right. So I really feel like they're doubling down on like the chance aspect of the game and really playing up the fact that it's a card game, mm-hmm. which I thought was cool too. So, um, I mean, the combat is new. Like, the outside part of the game is new too. Like, the outer loop is new. So um, I just think it's really special. And actually, watching you play... And I was like coaching you and like backseat driving the game as yeah. well. Like makes me want to go back and play the. I actually game. beat I beat the floor demo with Scott and yeah. one of the devs, kind of like cheering me on and, and telling me exactly yeah. what to do because I probably would have died and given up. But they were like, "No, go for that guy. Save that guy." The whole the whole demo was an escort mission where I had to bring this farmer like through. A million different challenges. Yeah, every time you go into combat, he would be in combat with you. You had to protect him. And you couldn't let him die. Yeah. So it was really, really challenging and really fun. So um, definitely, like I said, check out Hand of Fate 2. Um, It's coming, uh, I want to say, this this year um, to PC and I think later to console. Yeah. Um, Another game that I played had an appointment for was called Snake Pass. And Snake Pass is made by... uh, You were excited for this. yeah, Yeah. This was, like, I was totally looking forward to this going into it. It's made by uh, Sumo Digital, who, um, if I'm not mistaken, they do a lot of uh, development for AAA titles. So I don't. I, I think they might be like a secondary developer on a lot of AAA titles, oh, yeah. if I'm if I'm not mistaken. So um, they were telling me that this was like one of their, you know, few opportunities to create something on their own. And this, he said, the game. Uh, I, I spoke with uh, uh, Seb, I think, or Sebastian who's one of the developers on the project, he told me that this idea came out of a game jam that they did internally. Oh, cool. And uh, what I really like about the concept for this game, well, let me explain it first. It's um, It kind of looks like a third, uh, a 3D like action platformer in the style of like Banjo-Kazooie or Mario, except uh, you can't jump because you're a snake, right? So replace all the jumping and platforming with like things that a snake does, like slithers around like, you know... Uh, poles and different obstacles and like that's the whole mechanic for you for traversing the levels is getting yourself to coil up in these different shapes so that you have enough strength physically it's like very highly physics based so that you can maneuver from one place to another in order to do things that you do in in platforming games like get all the gems and collect all the coins and you know Mm -hmm. progress to the next level but um what's really interesting about this concept is that the developer uh said was telling that he relied on something from his own personal experience so he told me that prior to doing game dev he was a biology teacher and so he already knew a lot about like the you know the physical like mechanics of like snake movement and he just kind of like channeled that into this idea for a game jam and then everybody was like hey that's actually kind of cool and uh so it's kind of becoming a full-blown game now something else that's like really impressive is that the game is coming out i think in about two and a half weeks and they're releasing on all platforms simultaneously. Whoa, wow. They're doing PS4, Xbox One, 
uh, Switch and PC. Wow. Yeah. So he's like brave. Yeah, I told him that too. It's like, yeah, all it's coming in in like Windows PC as well. So wow. Um, yeah, they're hitting all these platforms. The game's like ready to go. Um, it's really bright and colorful, which is refreshing too. You don't see a lot of games like that. Um, you know, even like I told him. It's like you see, like on the floor, we see a lot of games from the NES, Super NES era, and yeah. then things from the modern era. And you really, you don't see a lot of things from the Nintendo sixty four era, right? Yeah. Although right. we're starting to get some of that, but um, this is one of those few things that's coming out. And a great selling point for Switch owners is that, like, after you beat Zelda and you're done playing Snipper Clips, like, what else do you have? Right. right? And this might be something that, like, uh, as a Nintendo fan, you'll probably love. I did. We were watching you play. And I looked at Ash at one point, and I was like, this game is, like, tailor-made for Scott. It's, like, three kinds of collectibles, plus, like, physics challenges mm-hmm. to get around a, like, right. not a not a straight-up puzzle, but, like, a sort of puzzle-ish, yeah. like, path to, like, the, I saw they had gems, like, hiding underground that you were, like, climbing over that you'd have to, like, get from one thing and kind of reach to be, like, yeah. between two levels, essentially, to reach, and I just was like, oh, this is like... The moment I saw you not get all the blue gems, I was like, I bet that's murdering Scott's yeah. insides right yeah. now. Yeah, I, t- I kept telling him, I was like, I I just need like an hour at home <laughs> with this game, and I'll, I'll get it. Yeah. Because the the real chat, like in a platformer, you know... Like, the controls are obvious to you, and you run and jump, and you know how to do something, you execute it. Yeah. In this game, it's like, I knew what I wanted to do, I just needed to make my brain operate the controller in the way that did what I already knew how to do. Right. Because, like, you physically have to slither, so you don't you don't hold up on the thumbstick to move forward. You have to push left and right on the thumbstick because you're slithering like a snake. Yeah, that's yeah. why I didn't... I, yeah. Because we were like... Ash and I were watching, like, man, this is sort of a slow puzzle platform. Yeah, and that's why, I was, that's why it looks slow, because I was bad at the mechanic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, like... And then there's a, another button, like, makes the snake's head, like, rise up in the air, like you're trying to go higher. There's another mechanic that... Um, tightens your grip as a snake so like after you make a loop around like let's say a pole and you want to hold on to that pole so you can reach the next one you tighten the snake's like muscular yeah i saw a bunch of the hints and i was trying to figure out if you were doing them like how it was working because every once in a while i would see it work and then like and you'd hit it and i was like oh that makes sense and then other times i'd see you wrapping up on a pole but like you just never seem like you could get up yeah yeah and that's because like like i said this game is a game where you you know what to do and you know what you want to do, but trying to get your coordination to like adapt to this new like mechanic of being a snake and not a, a humanoid or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's just like once you can make that symphony happen with your you know motor skills, like then the game will be like solid. So that comes out in two weeks, and it's um, really interesting. It's called Snake Pass from Sumo Digital, and it's going to be everywhere very soon. Cool, awesome. I'm going to go out of order here because I'm going to save my possible game of gone mm. to the end of the podcast mm-hmm. um so stick around <laughs> no. yeah. huh? after uh, these messages yeah um so i uh stuck around a little bit late in the con today you guys kind of took off to get you a, uh, a panel i assume we're probably going to mention later that you had to get ready for and scott you were kind of done with the morning and kind of heading back and i walked by a game called chasm that uh has some actually pretty awesome artwork uh, up and around it just looked attractive um and it is a metroidvania style action uh rpg that uh you start as dalton who's this kind of knight in training um and you get a mission to go out to 
these uh, mines, and you are supposed to like find the survivors, townsfolk, and bring them back, and then kill you know whatever you run into in the in the process. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it just becomes like a like a buttery smooth, uh, a buttery smooth action RPG. At that point, um, you've got weapons you can switch in and out of some abilities that you gain while you're down there. Like I gained a throwing knife while I was down there, had a sword, uh, a lot of jumping, platforming, Metroid style. Uh, works really smoothly. Pixel art looks really nice. Um, uh, yeah, super hard. I was very bad at it, which is kind of my thing with, with Metroidvania style games. I tend to be terrible at them. Uh, so I didn't get super far into it, but, but it was a fun game and, uh, they kickstarted and did really well on their Kickstarter from what I understand. And they are on PS4 and Steam coming this year. Yeah. But uh, the artwork is is utterly gorgeous, and all the promotional stuff is really kind of amazing for it as well. And the stories seem very like uh, '90s throwback RPG style story. Uh, kind of so. looks like medieval pixel art with um, with uh, maybe does it do some like parallaxing? Yeah, it does some yeah, parallaxing. Yeah, I can tell from. Uh, so, and then from what I understand, all the rooms are. All the rooms are designed, but the actual dungeon is uh, procedurally generated. Oh, okay, okay, cool. So it's replayable. You can kind of go back in. You get a new, you get a new mine every time. And I think there's a narrative as well. Once you clear the first dungeon, the narrative gets bigger. I obviously didn't get that far into the game. Um, the narrative gets bigger, and there's more dungeons that you can go through that are also procedurally generated out of like handmade rooms, which is a new thing I'm hearing done a lot, which seems intelligent which is designing kind of chunks of maps and then letting an algorithm put those together yeah i like so, it i like it when procedural generation is used like lightly yeah and intelligently and yeah. not, not just like as the whole game yeah because you know, like that, that frightens me when it's like yeah when it's like a dungeon caller but it's like our entire game is procedurally yeah. generated. i got a bit lost a little in the dungeon yeah. um uh while i was climbing down but but overall like you can't argue with the mechanics they were it, it played very very well very smooth uh and there was a lot of like things that i know metroidvania people love like jump canceling and mm. and dashing and stuff like that so that's cool. built in on the controls um so yeah chasm cool, cool. so we had lunch with uh, greg tito from D, who's a super super awesome guy he does the D podcast everyone should listen to that They've been having some absolutely insane guests lately, yeah. and he's uh, busting his ass on that. And we also got to take a look at Tales from the Yawning Portal, uh, which is a new book that is about to come out um, that takes seven old modules and remakes them for 5th edition. Yeah. And it looks absolutely fantastic. So if you're a and d fan at all, definitely check out Tales from the Yawning Portal. Um, it's got all sorts of really cool throwback art from the original uh, box sets from, I, I want to say, 2nd edition. And um, I just, like, it makes me want to play so badly. I, just I, seeing the art inside yeah. is just so, so good. We haven't talked D&D a lot on the podcast. Um, I will say that I have run a couple 5th edition campaigns briefly with a few different sets of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you've, like, not jumped in at this point, like, if you've listened, if you've done a bunch of video games, and maybe you've got just a couple close friends that you think might play D&D, mm-hmm. the intro stuff that you can get for 5th edition right now is pretty great, and they're putting out a ton of really awesome books like this one, like Tales from the Awning Portal, like Volo's Monster Guide. Like they're putting out these new sort of takes on how they right. used to do book editions, which were kind of like you know not that they were bad, but they could be sort of dry and very technical, very about like you know specific things. And now they're more getting into like having more story modules for people, having more of a of a Harry Potter style take on their monster manual and stuff right. like that, which is I think very cool and 
this book looks it looks absolutely awesome. So it's great. So, so definitely, yeah. you know, if you're a D and D fan, which a lot of our listeners are, definitely keep your keep your eyes peeled. Tales from the Yawning Portal. Um, can't speak highly enough, obviously, of those guys and uh, just talking to him about D and D. Yeah, it's it's really cool, and you know they're doing some great stuff and. Um, I'm excited to play again one of these days. Yeah, it's, it's been a while, man. Maybe we'll we'll rip, whip up an online one for the three of us or something. Yeah, I thought it was amazing that like, <clears throat> you know, alongside the campaigns were these little like, like side sidebars where like they showed an image of like the book, you know, the manual where it originally came from, mm-hmm. and then like there's a little blurb about yeah, like, like the history, the history of it. They're like. This first appeared like in the 1979 publication of blah blah blah. Yeah. Like, oh, that's really cool. And Greg was telling us a couple of these are actually Gygax modules that that are that he put out forever ago that were kind of like archived and they had to dig out and redo. It's beautiful, that's awesome. Yeah, uh, huge dungeons that are drawn out in the book and they they all look. It looks cool, man. Never, you, yeah. never did I think I would live to see the day where like D and D was super popular and and there were shows on about D and D and. and popular people were playing D&D. He he just had uh, Joe Manganiello who's going to be um in the new Batman movie and uh, Joe Manganiello plays D&D and he was just on the D&D podcast and it's just amazing that like, you know, Vin Diesel of course, yeah. all, all these these A-tier actors that yeah. are in these major franchises that grew up playing the game that are older now are like, of course we love D&D. So it's be- becoming um something that is You forget uh, you forget sometimes though that like these A-list actors that we have, like all these actors, were like theater geeks at one point yeah, in time. Like they were true. in high school, like <laughs> like they were like big into Shakespeare and theater geek mm-hmm. stuff, and like they probably half of them played D and D when they were yeah, kids. You no, know, it's very we true. could play a game and act at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it's it's uh, definitely entering a new era. So that's uh, Tales from the Yawning Portal. Yeah. So that's a new new D and D book, which is super cool. Um. I played a game by chance, but it was something I was aware of, but they had a, an open seat, so I sat down and played. It's called Embers of Miriam, and like, I'll already tell you this, you'll you'll recognize this as a Scott game. Um, <laughs> it's a... Um, Wait, Ash, you say it first. Is it a whimsical puzzle platformer? <laughs> sort of. Oh, mercy. <laughs> but it's, it's different. It's, a, it's a more yeah. of like, a, it's like an action platformer. Yeah. Where, um, what caught my eye is that the graphics are super sharp so like a lot of these indie titles when it's like a whimsical platformer it's either like sort of a minimalist art style or it's um you know it's not like super high res it's like the you know the models are maybe more on the like soft or cartoony side or whatever but this game has this like mythical beast almost like kind of like if a if Mewtwo or like a uh or like a medieval fantasy character you know so, I played a short demo of the game, and the concept of the game, and this is where the kind of the platforming gets a little wild, is that you do your running and jumping and all that stuff, and there's like bosses and you know uh, scripted like chase sequences and stuff like that. But the meat of the game is that this character can split itself in half into these like two like it's called Embers of Miriam. So you split into like these kind of essences, and you control them both simultaneously to go through different puzzles oh my God. in the environment. Right? So imagine like you're you it's a ha- horror show. Yeah, you're basically using <laughs> each each thumbstick controls a different essence. I cannot even work. Yeah, I mean like what, there was like, there was a there was a uh, there's a picture of you at the booth. Yeah. And like you should have like there you are master. 
there you are. I feel like only a handful of games have attempted like two stick control, like Ica- yeah, Ikaruga. Remember the, the shooter mm-hmm. where you controlled like both mm-hmm. like the light and dark. You know, sh- you know, so like, it's like yeah. patting your head and rubbing your stomach. Yeah, it's like it's like one of those games because in the really confusing thing is like when you're formed as the the beast character, it's all controlled with like the left thumbstick, right? Okay. But as soon as you split in half, your brain has to go like, now I need to right. use yeah. both thumbsticks to control both of these <laughs> things. And uh, I, the demo was like... Scott will master this and it'll be like, they need to make a new controller with four thumbsticks yeah. that I can control four things at yeah. the same time. And so like, oh, what's, what's... Okay, so, I mean, the things I liked about this is that um, the the team is small. It's like four people, but the game, I think they made, I think they said the game was made in Unity. And the graphics are, like, super-duper sharp. Like, high-res, sharp, like, detailed, looks great. They said they brought on a um, uh, someone with, like, a cinematography background to work on the... Or someone with, like, a, you know, film background to work on the cinematography for their cutscenes and action shots. So, what you see in a lot of, like, indie titles or puzzle games, like, there will be cutscenes, but it's just, like, the same environment you're looking at. But in this game, like when something happens, the camera moves around, different angles, you get oh, okay. to see different parts of the game. That's mm. cool. Which I think is really cool. So I think this game has a lot of promise. I don't know how far they are in their development cycle, but the game is called Embers of Miriam. M I R R I M. So Embers of Miriam. It's really fascinating one to keep an eye on. So uh, we put this on our Instagram, actually, uh, and our Twitter uh, as being. Feasibly our favorite booth in the entire con. Mm-hmm. Ah, yes. Uh, but I walked by this booth with Ash, I think, yesterday or mm-hmm. this morning. And uh, then Ash was playing, I think, Hand of Fate 2. And I walked. I was walking around and I went back to this booth and two people were playing. So I just kind of talked to the devs for a few minutes. Uh, and this game is called Crossing Souls. And the booth looked like an 80s basement like kids playing area like uh they had two tvs that were obviously flat screen monitors but were set up to look like old 80s box like floor tvs there was nintendo paraphernalia like Can I just, just quickly sitting but, around i want to quickly quickly Go say and nobody seemed to be phased by this but me <laughs> but there were 10 even the dev didn't care when you brought yeah, this up to him i was like there there were literally 10 uh nes boxes that looked like they had just been opened yesterday and yeah. i'm talking about like Met- <coughs> metroid castlevania brand new Br- and yeah, they yeah. look like they're fucking brand new boxes of nes yeah. games and i'm just like hey are these real like did you have these reprinted because they look like they're brand new he's like yeah yeah they're yeah they're nes boxes and i was like okay sure great yeah, yeah. So anyway, steal that yeah you i was like be careful i was like i'm it's, i just i stared at the boxes while that was playing right. half the time anyways yeah. So, uh, so talk to these guys for a little while. It's five developers out of Spain, and their company's called Four Attic. Uh, this is their first game, and Devolver is uh, publishing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so what they made was this 80s nostalgia action RPG. I heard the dev say Goonies a couple of times. Yeah. Uh, basically. Very, very Goonies, very Stand By Me. Very Stand By Me, very Goonies. Uh, I would throw E.T. into that mix. Yeah. Uh, basically, if you watch Stranger Things and you thought, man, this show's really cool, what if I played a game that felt sort of similar? Uh, that's what this game is. Um, 
the interesting thing is they're not like hopping on trends. These guys have been working on this for two years, and uh, it's just like a weird, strange coincidence that we're mm-hmm. pulling we're pulling uh, inspiration from similar places now and creating similar things. But you play as a, a brother, two sets, of two brothers, and three of their friends, and you kind of gather them all up in the beginning. Uh, and you, it's just you running around, but you can switch seamlessly between characters and each character has their own special move and their own like ability or two that you can do with them. Like one can hover jump, uh, Matt, Matt, who was the nerd, Matt, Matt, the nerd, uh, <laughs> you know, I thought like watching you play, I thought like, Oh, switching between five characters at once seems a little OP, but when you were actually in the throes of the game, yeah. it seemed like you really had to think about who to use, especially in combat. Yeah, they well, so they did a really... And another thing I want to... I've been drooling all over these guys for the, the whole day. These guys have heard this three times at this point. But uh, another thing I really want to sort of like give them props for is that they built a, a floor demo. Like, the, the this was not the game. It was, it was a demo to like play the game and see what it was all about. And it may be part of the intro. I could see it sort of being part of the intro, but they did such a good job of introing each character, giving you the chance to play as that character, and then showing you how to switch between them and why you might switch between them when you're fighting different different things or, or needing to, to cross different challenges in the map. So it really, it could have been OP, but uh, characters tired out. I don't know if you noticed that. <coughs> I noticed they had a stamina bar and different, different health bars, too, for each character. Different health bars, stamina bars. So as you were playing, you might be like, oh, well, the guy with the bats, like, the best because he's got range and can kind of hit everybody the hardest. Um, but he tired out, you know, eventually, and you'd, you'd have to switch if you were fighting, like, a group of six or seven people. Um, but the story follows these five kids who basically... Uh, are all friends and they find a dead body very stand by me uh, find a dead body or Goonies was Goonies oh they find a skeleton right yeah. that dead body has this gemstone on it um, and when you get it you find that this Matt the nerd discovers that there's uh, there's sort of like secret portal powers that are around this 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 stone and um, I saw apparitions yeah he starts to yeah. see apparitions and basically what they discover is that they can visit different eras of dead people that will like appear in the room as sort of living ghosts or, or, or I don't know what you might call them. Mm-hmm. And the, and the, it hints that the stone is also going to give them more abilities on top of that when each one That's of them cool, uses man. it. Uh, and, and I think you guys walked away, although you might've seen it on the guy's TV next to mine, but right after that scene, it cuts to the big government conspiracy. Say, yeah, government conspiracy. Ah. And introduces, uh, these characters that are it was uh it was like major oro uh oh man i can't all the names were references and i just blanked on all of them one looked like arnold schwarzenegger like it was it was ridiculous there's a lot of nostalgia um, i could see like the game in which this government is chasing you throughout the game yeah you get right. these gems back but you're like running up. around a neighborhood that felt like every suburban neighborhood that i've like ever really lived did. in the, the tone was great the kids had this treehouse that they hung out in with yeah. the very monster squad and yes and, but it wasn't heavy-handed nostalgia like it no. just still felt like its own thing mm-hmm. which i thought was really neat and we're talking like 16-bit graphics here yeah 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 um, i thought all of the environments were like very fully populated film. Yeah, yeah. Like a, yeah, yeah. a lot of people you can talk to like you were allowed to kind of move around freely mm-hmm. um, there was one thing animation wise I wanted to point out that I don't know if you guys noticed and it's something that I feel like a lot of pixel art doesn't do all the time it feels very flat which is the actual 
clothing and stuff was moving around. Did you see that on the I did, characters? I did notice, yeah. Like when I jumped, his shirt would like fly up and come back down, and like it had like fluid motion oh, cool. to it. Yeah, I didn't see that, which was weird and like unexpected in a pixel game. Yeah. Um, I was you were sitting next to somebody, and so I was watching you and the other guy play, and we were pretty and, close. To, he was like yeah, just ahead. He of was me. like maybe like uh, two minutes ahead of you. Yeah. But the thing I noticed and I thought was really cool about this game is that. Aside from the very character-specific parts of the game that you had to use, right? Uh, I noticed that you played as one person throughout the entire game, and he played as someone else. I kept switching back to Chris. I think. With yeah, the but hair. I noticed that, like, yeah, you, the, the main guy. I yeah. noticed that people kind of like stick to a character. Yeah. Because you got into combat, you played it completely differently from the Did other I? guy. You got to like this trailer park, and you had to like fight these like crowds of people that were coming at you, and you played first as Matt. And he, and like you were ranged combat, and he played as like Big Joe, oh, and yeah, like yeah. got in there and just like punched them all down. I was like, yeah. oh, this is cool. Yeah. You can pick who you want to play as and just kind of like, you know. And all of those mechanics worked really well. Like, there are five completely different fighting mechanics, and each one of them felt distinct. Yeah. It just was really, it was surprising, I guess, is really what it was. I've, we see a lot of pixel art games at these cons, we see a lot of throwback games, mm-hmm. and this one just felt different it had it had like a life to it and it it played well and like i think when i first watched it i didn't expect it to be as like fluidly movement like the movement to be so smooth and like Mm -hmm. and the uh the action to be so so good so and and they say when the game's coming out they did it just as this year so um they uh the only other thing that's really interesting about them and i think is a tale to i would love to maybe see if we get them on the show which we probably could but um they uh, none of them were developers, designers, or artists before this. Wow! Every single there's five people on the team. Every single one of them uh, came to this brand new. Had some like some little bit of art background or a little bit of development background, but not in games. Right. And they made this game and, and put it out in a couple of years. So really I think that's actually pretty awesome that yeah, they had. I think so. Too. They had an idea. They, and they have ran a with website it. or anything or a Twitter. Yeah, yeah. So if you go to Crossing Souls, did I say the name of the game? Crossing Souls. I think you did. <laughs> <Hopefully>. <laughs> it's all right. If you go to CrossingSoulsTheGame.com uh, and then you can follow them on it's Four Addict like F O U R Attic A T T I C. I see um, on any of the social media platforms, uh, and the game slated to come out in 2017. Oh, the only last thing is that there's animation cuts, and the animation looks like D and D, like the old Dungeons and Dragons cartoon, or like He Man, or whatever you want. 80s era, 80s like, era miss, line missing frames cartoons, yes. but like perfect, like done so perfectly that you're because yeah. I thought that was just promotional because mm-hmm. they were running like a promotional cartoon. But it cuts in the game and goes to that stuff. Yeah, so the cutscenes it's really yeah. awesome. And then it's the great. music's very synth, uh, Stranger Things music soundtrack, and it's playing the whole time that, you're yeah, running around. Yeah, I didn't around. get to hear any of the sound effects or music. Which yeah, kind of so it was maybe, great. Maybe I'll sneak down tomorrow and check it out. Yeah, it was, very, it was real good. Crossing Souls, the game. I just want to sit in the 80s-inspired living room. I Honestly, I just wanted to sit on that beanbag and just hang out. Yeah. <laughs> like, it was pretty yeah, good. It was pretty awesome. It made me want to, like, recreate that in my house someplace. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Man. I was literally on the beanbag for, like, 25 minutes, and oh, yeah. 25 minutes in, I was demo. like, this is really comfortable. <laughs> like, I'm super comfy Just right now. the room now. had, like, it had, like, Star Wars lunchboxes <laughs> and Muscle Men. Yeah. And, like, a... Uh, like, uh, Tom Selleck pillow. It was just like this perfect '80s room. It's on cool. our Instagram. If you yeah. want to see it, yeah, yeah, go yeah. go check out the Instagram, uh, and you'll see you'll see their their wonderful booth. What yeah. else? What else? Last is next? thing. Last thing is the panel. panel. So yeah, um, after uh, I guess where did I, I? I don't want to say I pleaded, but I, I, I we've covered the romance and games panel before. 
I've been asked to be on it twice. The first time my boss said, no, you can't do it. You're not romantic enough. The second time I got sick um, and I couldn't do it because I was sick and I was just like, there's no way I'm going to do this. So um, this time I was actually on the four-play romance and games panel, which is uh, a ton of fun. And uh, this time we kind of covered our our favorites romances in games. And we also kind of went into some analytics behind um, what, you know, what, what, about romance and games appeals to different demographics, which is kind of like a more of a little uh, marketing talk, I guess, was the main the main point of that. And we also talked about um, just uh, you know how romance and games has changed over the years. And it was uh, I'm not going to remember everybody, but it was Mike Laidlaw from Bioware and Hillary from Bethesda and Arden Ripley, who's working on an indie game now, and uh, Ben and Mylan and me. Sean Baptiste hosted. Sean Baptiste hosted. And Lane from Australia. Who's Lane, I think, who runs. He used to work at Beamdog and used to uh, do uh, Baldur's Gate. Yes. I just met him tonight, so I forget all of this. He was super funny. But it was great. But the the panel was a lot of fun. It was really fun to be on. I got to talk a little bit about Firewatch. I got to talk about my sick obsession with Liara. Um, And uh, a little bit about Overwatch. I got to sneak some Overwatch stuff in there, which was fun. But um, we didn't record it this time around, no. but uh, there were people recording it, so if you really want to hear it, I'm sure someone will post uh, bits and pieces of it on their social media channels. I think there were a couple of media outlets there recording it as well, so if you care about romance and games and you want to hear us uh, say stupid stuff, then definitely check it out. It was uh, really fun to be on. It was a pleasure, and uh, I had a really good time. I think that's the end of Saturday. I think that's the end of Saturday, too. Cool. I think it is. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening to our Saturday coverage. Co- coverage. 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 Pax East. Marriage. Marriage is a union. Pax East 2017. You guys can follow us on Twitter, and that's at Nerd Appropriate. And our Instagram is still going strong. We're posting all sorts of pictures, so go to slash Nerd Appropriate on Instagram as well. There is actually a video of Ash on the Instagram. Oh, really? On Maybe. The panel. Maybe for twenty four hours there is. Yeah, for you gotta go oh, check man. our you gotta go check our stories, man. We wanna know what I was saying. Go check our stories. But um yeah, thanks to everyone for listening and we'll be back tomorrow with our Sunday coverage. <laughs> I just realized I I did the whisper hand for that last film. Yeah, whisper hand on the audio podcast. That's on the second floor. It's ban. 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 Yeah, it's on the second floor. Are we recording? Yep. Oh, that's a lot